Here's the reality. You might lose people. You might lose situations. But I promise you that whatever you lose in your life is probably not most authentically aligned with who you are and what your soul is seeking to become. The next level of your life will require the next level of you. And the next level of you is going to require that you let go of what's not aligned. It's going to require that you let go of those people that are on the line. It's going to require that you let go of what's no longer working. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method, and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs, and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real, simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. Am I lying to myself? Am I stuck in a position, a relationship, a business that is not right for me? that deep down inside makes me feel frustrated, sick, but I am afraid to admit it. How can I tell if I even am lying to myself? Today, you're going to learn the three questions to ask yourself so you know that answer, so you know if you might be lying to yourself, pretending to not know something. Our guest today is Coot Blackson, a speaker, author, a transformational teacher that offers a fresh, bold look at spiritual and self-awareness that might just make a few of us uncomfortable. Coot was born in Ghana into a family of ministers and expectations. No one was more surprised than him when his father handed over his 3,000-person congregation to Coot at just 14 years old. He will discuss today the events that unfolded after that moment. He is now the author of the national best-selling book, You Are the One, and most recently, The Magic of Surrender. He is considered the next generation leader in the field of personal development and has been featured on Larry King Now, Fox and Friends, Dr. Drew, and Inc. Magazine calls him the mindfulness guru, billionaires go to for advice. Pivoters, this interview will rock you to your core if you let it. Be sure you are not passively listening, that you are active, that you are engaged. Let Coot speak directly to you. Have the courage to answer those three simple questions he asks in this interview. You owe it to yourself. Let's get into it. I am so excited today, Pivot Me, to welcome Coot to our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we just went through your bio, which is amazing and impressive. So many questions that I want to ask. First thing that stands out is that you went on a very, very different path than sort of the one that was laid out for you. So I would love for you to talk about sort of the trajectory that you were on. Then what made you make such a sharp pivot in your journey? Yeah, look, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. And my entire life was set out for me. My childhood was a little unconventional from the standpoint that I always felt a deep calling to 
impact people. I was a sensitive kid, so I felt people's pain very deeply. I was very empathetic. And there was a part of me that wanted to alleviate suffering in some way. I didn't know what that would look like. And so for me, my first memories as a kid was literally seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. And she picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up, call it a miracle. And so week after week with my own eyes, no cameras around, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of wheelchairs and so the same man who Sanchi picked up was my father and he would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say hey stand up people coming on crutches unable to walk and he would say hey throw your crutches away be healed and so my father was a healer my father was a minister built 300 churches in Ghana West Africa built a huge church 5,000 people in South London and so I grew up in this shall we say spiritual mystical environment and it didn't seem that unusual to me. It didn't seem very extraordinary. It just seemed normal. And I think that was a gift because I grew up with the sense of anything was possible. And so at age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches. At age 14, that's when my speaking career began. At age 14, I was ordained as a minister. And my father basically announces to the congregation one Sunday, my son is taking over. He's going to be my successor. It's a big deal. I go through this ordination. But when it was announced, I knew there was this deep, profound, sinking feeling in my gut because I knew that this was not my path. I knew that this was not my life. I knew that this was not my purpose, but everyone seemed to have plans for my life. And my father had a vision for who I was going to be and my life was set out for me, but there was a deep knowing. As much as I knew there was a deep fear inside of me, this fear of if I dare to speak my truth, if I dare to tell my father how I really feel, that I'm going to be outcast, I'm going to be alone, I'm going to lose his love. And so my fear was, and I think so many of us as human beings, we hold back our truth, we hold back who we are. We're afraid to fully express ourselves out of fear of being alone, being abandoned, not being loved. And we hold back who we truly are in the world. And so it took me about four years to muster up the courage to speak my truth. And for those four years, I went through tremendous turmoil, tremendous questioning. I went through a lot of soul searching, depression, soul searching, internal conflict. But there was a knowing that was undeniable that I felt called in a different direction. I didn't know what it was, but at the age of 18, I had a choice to make. I could follow the expected path for my life, like many of us do. But I felt this calling to come to America. I felt this pull in my soul to come to the U.S., come to America, specifically come to Southern California, because as a young boy, I grew up reading self-help books on my father's bookshelf with literally thousands of self-help books, everyone from Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and Brian Tracy and Zig, Zig Ziglar, yeah, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, Louise Hay, to the Eastern mystics, people like Ramana Maharishi and Maharishi Mashyogi and Krishnamurti. And so I became fascinated at a young age with trying to understand what is life and what's the purpose of life and is it just to you know wake up and I got a scholarship to a very prestigious school and everyone in my school sons of presidents and kings and heads of state yet so many of them seem to be miserable and so it started a real soul searching inside the sense of like what's the purpose of life is it just to wake up make money start a business buy a house go on vacation get four cars and then die like surely there has to be more to life than that and so as a kid at 18, I looked into my future and I saw that I could be successful following my father's vision. I could be successful following it, whatever I wanted for me. 
age 20, age 30, age 40, age 50. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my integrity, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my truth, what kind of success is that? What do I have? And so what really triggered going on my own path was I felt such a sense of pain. I felt this deep, profound sense of self-betrayal. I felt this deep pain of the sense that I was committing soul suicide by not following my calling. And that calling was come to the US. That calling was, I wanted to write books and go into this field. As a kid, we lived behind my father's church. So I'd sneak into my father's church in the middle of the night and I would speak to the empty chairs with the lights off. I would speak to them, imagining I was giving seminars to thousands of people because when I read these self-help books, Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, Jim Rohn, I mean, there was a whole nother way of inspiring people and it didn't have to be through religion or the church or some organization. And so I felt this calling and something was pulling me, which I didn't understand. And what I realized is sometimes what your soul guides you to do won't always make sense to your logic or your mind. What your soul guides you to do won't always be convenient. But I really do believe that when you follow your soul and you don't compromise your truth, you don't compromise what you're being guided to do, even if it doesn't make any sense, you will always end up in the right place with the right people, even though the route and the map that you take may not make any sense. And so I left everything behind at age 18. I had that conversation with my father and dared to speak my truth. And we didn't speak for two years, which was incredibly challenging. But from that decision, which took a lot of courage, it took me in a whole different destiny, it took me in a whole different trajectory with my life. And I ended up winning a green card to come to the US in the green card lottery and came to the US $800, do you know one in the country? And began my journey, went and found teachers. Many of the authors and teachers and mentors that, that I just spoke about, learned from some of them, studied with some of them. Then I traveled the world. You know, after that, I traveled to Thailand, studied with monks. I traveled to Israel, studied with rabbis, ended up in India. And that's what really, should we say, cracked me open to a deep sense of freedom and peace and understanding. And it was out of that experience that I wanted to come back to the U.S. and share and inspire people. That's the short version. And that you have. A couple of questions out of that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I want to go back to the moment where at 14, there's this announcement that you're going to be taking over. Were you involved in that conversation before, or was this announcement happen? And I want to understand that moment where this is being announced and you've got this, I would imagine feeling in your gut where you're like, this isn't for me, but I've got to do this. There was no conversation. There was no discussion. There was no, hey, cool, let me sit down. Let's talk about this. There was no mentoring. My father's very old school. And that's where I realized, look, there's no shortage of people that will think they know what's right for you, that they think they know what your destiny should be and who you should be and how you should be living your life. And if you allow it, we often end up living lives that aren't truly aligned because we're living someone else's version for ourselves. And I think you can't be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not. You can't be truly fulfilled and happy living someone else's version for you. And so when it was announced, there was no discussion, no conversation. I'll never forget the moment where it's announced Everyone, there's 5,000 people in, in the audience. Everyone is happy but me. And I have this smile on my face as a 14-year-old kid, and my heart is sinking and sinking. And I look over at my mother in slow motion, and she had no idea this was coming. Oh, she didn't either? My dad is old school. He's like old school, you know, African guy where it's basically, it's my way 
or is it my way? Please take a choice. What's your choice? And so when it was announced, you know, he looked at me and I looked at him and I smiled and that was it. I went home that night and I cried because I knew that this was not my truth. I knew this was not my aligned path. There was a deep knowing and I tried to convince myself that, well, maybe, you know, I tried to negotiate in my mind, maybe there's a way, and it, four years of going back and forth, pretending, negotiating, lying to myself. And I think one of the things as human beings that keeps us unhappy, that keeps us stuck, that keeps us from fulfilling our true potential in life and creating the life that we truly want are all the ways that we lie to ourselves. As human beings, as human beings, we're constantly lying to ourselves. And many times we're not even aware that we're lying to ourselves. We think that who we are is who we are. We think that what we feel is what we really feel. We think that what we want is what we really want. And we don't even know that we're lying. And so what I've seen is you know, in so many ways we stay in relationships that aren't truly aligned out of fear out of comfort, out of self-preservation. We work jobs and careers that aren't truly aligned, out of fear, out of security, and wonder, why do I not feel happy? And so I think if we truly want to begin shifting our reality, shifting our life, creating breakthroughs, we have to be willing to acknowledge the lies that we're telling ourselves. To me, the truth is what sets us free. The truth is what facilitates breakthroughs. Truth for me is real, shall we say, spiritual practice, is real prayer, is real meditation. And so there is no transformation, like real authentic transformation and next level breakthroughs without truth. And so a question I would ask people is just to start the conversation is what lies am I telling myself? I was going to say, walk us through the process. If a pivoter is listening right now and they're like, well, I don't know if I'm lying to myself about my business, my job, my relationship. Walk us through the process. As, and many people say, I'm not lying to myself. But here's how you know if you're lying to yourself, even if you think you're not lying to yourself. When you lie to yourself, you are likely experiencing a level of pain. When I say level of pain, the pain will manifest as psychological, emotional pain. So there will be feelings of resentment, anger, bitterness, feelings of depression, like, why am I so depressed? Why do I not feel happy? And the depression kind of increases because we're suppressing our truth. And so pain is simply, to me, pain is amazing. Pain is a blessing. Pain is your friend. Pain is a signal that something is not in alignment. Yet what we do, the issue is not that we feel pain. The issue is we don't pay attention to the message of the pain. And what we've been conditioned to do as human beings is deny the pain. So what we do is we distract ourselves. We drink it away, sex it away, smoke it away, work it away, social media it away, Netflix it away, whatever it is to not deal with the pain. But the pain is a signal. So we have to get into relationship with the pain and see what is the message of the pain. So the pain is usually when we lie to ourselves, it's supposed to be painful. When we lie to ourselves, it's not meant to feel good. Lie to myself and I feel amazing. Then something's not healthy. So I see the fact that we feel pain is a sign that we're healthy if we're willing to heed the signal of the pain. And so if you're lying to yourself, but you maybe think you're not, you're going to feel some spectrum of emotional pain. And a deep level of it may be I feel so depressed. I feel uninspired. I feel so that's one level. You might feel a 
physical pain, like backache, shoulder ache, neck ache, some temporary physical ailment, which is your unconscious manifesting, trying to communicate to you saying, hey, pay attention to something you're not listening to. It might manifest when we lie to ourselves, it might manifest as an ongoing physical, let's say, disease or ailment that's ongoing. And again, you're unconscious, your body, a deeper intelligence and wisdom inside of you of what you're not dealing with, your subconscious speaking to you through your body, trying to get your attention, saying, hey, again, there's some feeling, something you're not paying attention to. On a spiritual energetic level, when we lie to ourselves, we are suppressing the authentic energy, emotion of what we're feeling. Energy is emotion. So when we suppress emotion and energy, then energy doesn't flow in our system. Energy isn't flowing healthily. And so it's stagnant. So what may also happen is we kind of get out of sync with the flow of life and life kind of doesn't flow and things aren't quite connecting because the energy inside of us isn't flowing. Or lastly, you might tend to manifest people in your life that are a projection, a manifestation of your disowned pain and feeling. So you might find yourself saying, why do I keep attracting people that are depressed? Why do I keep attracting people that are angry? We often attract those people to reflect to us what we're not acknowledging and owning the lie that we're telling within ourselves. So then we manifest and draw those people to us. So if you have some level of these, let's say five things, this could be a sign that you're lying to yourself in some way. So the first question to ask yourself is, what lies am I telling myself? To me, this takes a moment of courage. You have to want the truth more than you want what you have. You have to want the truth more than you want what you want. And sometimes we don't want the truth because the fear is, shit, if I tell myself the truth, if I acknowledge the truth, what will that mean? For me, the fear was if I tell myself the truth and I speak the truth, then I'm going to lose my father. I'm going to lose love. I'm going to lose everyone and everything that I know. And so there was a self-protective mechanism that kicked in to deny the truth. And so you have to want the truth more than you want what you have. And so one thing I would say is it can seem scary to tell the truth. Oh my God, if I tell the truth to myself that I'm not in love with my spouse, I'm not in love with this person. I hate my job. What will that mean? We're often afraid of the consequences. And now as a result of the fear of the consequences, we often don't tell ourselves the truth. We often end up playing this game of confusion. Like, well, I don't really know what the truth is. I don't really know how I feel. I don't really know what I want. I don't really know what's next for me. I don't really know what my purpose is. And to me, that is the ego's way of protecting ourselves because if we remain in confusion, if we remain in this I don't know cloud, then we don't really have to take responsibility and do something about it. And we don't really have to take responsibility and make that decision. And so I think there's a part of us at the deepest level that knows everything, because at the deepest level, we're connected to everything. And so we know, even if we say we don't, we have a knowing inside. And so part of the courage is to acknowledge the knowing. What are the lies I'm telling myself? And one thing that helps is to take the pressure off of yourself of having to take any action. If you take the pressure off of yourself of having to take action, like if I own the truth that I'm not in love, that means I have to break up. No, let's take that pressure off. Because when that pressure's on is when the ego kicks in to protect ourselves. The ego's job is to preserve its sense of identity. And the ego's job is to keep us safe, to prevent us from getting hurt again. The little prince. 
Yep. And so the ego tends to control everything because if I can control everything around me, I won't get hurt like I was hurt when I was five or when I was 10. And so if we could just take the pressure off of yourself from having to take action, it's like, okay, I'm not in love. I'm no longer in love with this person. I haven't been in love with this person for five years. You know what? This business that I've launched, I've been doing it for five, 10 years, doesn't light me up anymore. I'm not inspired anymore. It's not aligned anymore. It's not authentic for me anymore. It's no longer my purpose, which can be scary because the sense of, oh, shoot, if I really acknowledge that, then what does that mean? And so if you can take the pressure off of yourself and just acknowledge the truth, you don't have to do something about it. You don't have to even take an action. Then that can help you relax to just say, what's my truth? So you can open, it makes complete sense. So you can open to the truth. It's like, I hate the business I've built. I'm no longer inspired doing what I'm doing. Just breathe and just take a moment to just let the truth marinate. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go into a survival mode. Just be with that. When you allow yourself to feel the truth, that begins a process inside. So what lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? Thirdly, you can ask yourself, what are the lies that I'm telling myself? What is it costing me? What is it costing me? There is a cost. There is a cost for lying to ourselves, even if we may not be aware of it right now. Sometimes we say, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this right now. If you don't deal with it right now, you might think you're not dealing with it right now, but you will have to deal with it in the suffering and the pain you will ultimately end up experiencing as time goes on. So there's no way ultimately to not deal with it. And so just sit with, I just invite people with that third question to sit with what is the cost and to let yourself feel the pain of the lie. Don't distract yourself. Don't numb it. Don't drug it. Don't shop it away. Just feel it. Because feeling the pain will begin to create a sort of internal movement inside. Even if you don't take action now, just feeling that pain will start to create some momentum yeah, inside. And so those are three questions people can ask themselves. So this is amazing. I love it. It's fantastic. What I heard when we were fearful of taking action, I love the, hey, just look at the truth and take the pressure off of taking action. But when I think of the pain you mentioned, a lot of it was around other people. If I tell my father I don't want to be the minister of this church, it's going to hurt him. If I say that I want to be out of this relationship, it's going to hurt my partner. Would you say that most of the time we're not telling ourselves the truth in fear of hurting somebody else or losing somebody else? Is it a, kind of an outside problem? Yeah, many times it's the fear of losing love and validation and acceptance. And so let me just kind of break it down so people can understand the internal mechanism. As children, we're not afraid. When we're really young, before we're conditioned, if you imagine we're born free, and here we are, these little beings, you know, six months old, five months old, a year old, we're full of love. We're full of light. We're bouncing around. We're fearless. We go up to people. We hug them. We express ourselves. We speak our truth. We poop when we want to poop. We cry when we want to cry. We're being authentic. We're being truthful. We sing and we don't care if we can't sing like Bruno Mars or Celine Dion. We'll shout and we'll scream and we'll dance and we'll run naked. We don't really care. We're fully expressed. We're fully alive. We're fully aligned into this human experience and we meet our parents. Our parents, they're just doing the best that they can do based on their upbringing and their childhood. And, and so we're born into a preset framework of conditioning based on our parents, their parents, 
ancestors. And so now we meet our parents and maybe dad was an alcoholic. Maybe mom had mental health issues. Maybe they were fighting all the time. Maybe they were amazing people, but they just weren't emotional. They didn't know how to meet our emotional needs. So two things happen that I think is important for us to understand the mechanism for why we do what we do and why we don't do what we do and why we might self-sabotage ourselves and why we don't take action even though we know we should and why we make the choices that we make. So the first thing that happens as children is in response to our environment, we learn a survival strategy and defense mechanism to shut down, disconnect, and not feel. Shut down, disconnect, and not feel. Dad is screaming all the time. That's really painful. Shut down, disconnect, not feel. Erect walls in my heart. In order to function and survive and cope with what's happening around. And so we suppress the feeling, suppress the feeling, suppress the feeling. And before you know it, our authentic expression, our true selves get kind of buried underneath the layers of unfelt feeling and emotion. And now we've learned to erect walls around our sensitivity in our heart in order to not feel the pain. And so we learn to become a kind of certain person that is maybe defensive in a certain way to not feel that pain. And we go into our lives as adults still holding onto this survival defense mechanism to not feel the pain so that we'll never get hurt again, right? And so what works for us when we were five, now when we're 25, we're still doing. So like, we want to launch that business. We want to take that leap. We want to go to that next level. But we're still kind of in that survival defensive posture inside of ourselves, unconsciously afraid of like, if I take that risk, if I go into the unknown, if I let go of what I have, then, uh uh-oh, I might feel helpless. I might feel scared. I might feel the feelings that I felt when I was five and I don't want to feel that. So let me hold on. Let me hold on to this relationship. Let me hold on to this partnership. Let me hold on to this position in order to not feel that out of control, in order to not feel that feeling I felt. And so that holding on is a positive intention survival mechanism to keep us safe. So unconsciously from childhood, we are wired to keep ourselves safe. The other thing is we learn a way of being in the world to go out into the world as children. Who do I need to be? We look around. Who do I need to be in order to get love, validation, and approval from mom and dad? Oh, when I'm a certain way, I get love. When I'm a certain way, I get a strange look, or I get beaten, or I get left, or I get scolded. And so we learn to contort ourselves into a certain shape in order to get love, validation, and approval, because on some level in our environment, love seems a bit conditional in a certain sense. We're a certain way, we get love. We're not a certain way, we don't get love. And so we're, again, wired to be a certain way to not be a certain way to get love, validation, and approval. So ultimately, it's survival. It's survival. And so now we're age 20 and age 30. We learn to become a person that we think is who we are in order to avoid pain, in order to get love. And now we've learned to contort ourselves into a certain shape. And we think the version of ourselves that we've become is who we are, but we don't realize it's simply who we've been conditioned to be to keep ourselves safe and to get love. And so now we're age 20, we're age 30, we're age 40. Unbeknownst to us many times because we're unconscious, we're still being what we learned to be in order to get that love, validation and approval. And so even some of the ways that we sabotage and even some of the ways that we betray ourselves, even some of the ways that we say yes when we mean no, when we don't do what we mean and we don't tell ourselves, we don't tell, speak the truth are unconscious survival mechanisms to get certain needs met. So even in some of those uh, limiting behaviors, there is a positive intention. 
And I think if we're able to, even in self-sabotage, if we're able to acknowledge the positive intention that is driving that behavior to realize, wow, it's not because I'm bad. It's not because something's wrong with me. It's not because I'm an idiot. It's not because I'm lazy. It's just this survival mechanism is trying to keep me safe to prevent me from getting hurt, to prevent me from losing love. If we can become aware of the motivation and the drive and realize underlying every behavior is a positive intention. The positive intention is to keep me safe, to get me love. Then we can meet ourselves with a different kind of energy rather than judging ourselves, rather than being angry at ourselves, rather than beating ourselves up and trying to say what's wrong with me, motivating ourselves through sort of this internal harshness. We're able to meet ourselves with much more empathy and compassion. And truly it's real healing and how we start healing the patterns within. Real healing happens when we bring loving and compassion to those parts of ourselves that are hurting. Coot, I'm thinking about that there's a balance to walk though, because as you're saying, no, I totally understand that, hey, when you're a little kid, you're being conditioned and then you start to be this way and then it continues on to your adulthood and a lot of times doesn't serve you. Conditioning also does serve you because yes, people are kinder to you when you're kind. If you have a child, you have to teach them, don't be rude. People don't like that and they don't want to be around you. Like, how do you walk that balance of, okay, we we do have to positively condition someone so they function well in society, but also live in their truth. Sure. Yeah. For me, the conditioning is not the issue. It's often the version of ourselves that we've been conditioned to become. The degree to which we're holding so tightly to that version of ourselves, which is ego, right? The ego is the sense of who we think ourselves to be that we identify with based on the past experience, history, beliefs, values, the degree to which we are holding on to that version of ourselves so tightly for a sense of self-identity, to me, that's the issue. Because if we're holding so tightly to, you always have to be kind all the time, because that's who you think you need to be in order to get love, validation, approval, then what, what, what happens when someone abuses your kid? What happens when you maybe need to get shit done with a vendor and they're jerking you around and maybe they're not following through and maybe you've been kind and you've been kind and you've been kind and you've been kind and that's not working. Maybe you need to sort of bring a bit of heat and energy, but if you're holding so tightly onto a conditioned version of yourself of always having to be kind, then there's no freedom. You don't have the range and the freedom to be any other way. And then you're locked into, you're locked into a way of being where there's no freedom. Real freedom is the ability to meet the moment. Real freedom is the ability to not be locked into a pattern or version of yourself. It does make sense. So it's interesting because I'm listening to this from two perspectives. One, as an advisor that coaches people that sees the effects of when someone lives out of alignment. And when they're like, oh, well, I thought I had to be this way. And they're now 40 years old and they're like, I'm not happy. And I was just doing the business my father was in. So I see it from that lens. I also see it from the lens of a parent where I have two daughters and I'm trying to guide them to both be their authentic selves, but you can't go out there and be a jerk and you can't interrupt a bunch of people because they're not going to want to be around you. So it's just interesting from the perspective of a parent, you're walking this fine line of how do I both have you celebrate who you are and your authentic self? 
but then let you know the social norms of like, and this is how you have to go out in the world and sometimes be to get stuff done, to be a good student. I don't know the answer exactly to that. What I'm kind of landing on is it's just about total self-awareness and recognizing that, yes, sometimes you do have to behave in a certain way for a desired outcome, but don't accept that as your now personality. And so you always have to be kind or you always have to be the certain way. What I'm thinking is, is you've got to be self-aware and you've got to know enough, be honest with yourself enough to say, hey, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be this way to get this desired outcome but I still know who I am. I still know what I want and what I don't want. Imagine going to a party, right? And the DJ's playing a whole wide range of merengue, reggae, electronic music, salsa, classical music, hip hop, R&B, jazz. And imagine that you go to this party and you got three dance moves, elbow, elbow, head. And, and no matter what the DJ plays, you got. that's all you do. Like many of us live life that way. And no matter what happens, that's all we're able to do. All I'm saying is that's not freedom. Real freedom is the ability to have the flexibility to not be so stuck in ego and identity, the version of ourselves that we've been conditioned to be, that we think we are, that society, life, religion, everyone tells us that we are, is the ability to have a bit more flexibility to respond to the music of life authentically from within, not just based on what somebody has told you to be that you're holding so tightly onto. So it's, should we say, your relationship with yourself and your relationship with life is what's important. It's the relationship with. I like that. All right, we've got some awesome news today. The YouTube relaunch is here now. Never seen before footage of our actual interviews. You're going to watch the video of me sitting down with Jay Abraham and ask him, what the hell are us entrepreneurs doing wrong? We've got footage of me talking to Cameron Harold and him telling the story of the rave he went to in his 40s. Footage of when John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneurs on Fire told us that we aren't perfectionists. We're cowards. We have it all captured and we are pumped to share it with you today. Go to YouTube and put in April Garcia Pivot Me and join in. See me thank Sharon Lecter in real time for writing the Rich Dad Poor Dad series because the series of books helped guide me when I was 20 into becoming a real estate investor. And listen in when I asked several of our high performing guests the very tough question of, hey, how do you personally self-sabotage. We made this for you. So join in at YouTube and subscribe so you will see when new videos are released. It'll be every Tuesday. You'll actually get notified. So take 10 seconds and do it now. Grab your phone. If you're on a desktop, do it there. Go to YouTube and enter April Garcia Pivot Me or enter the URL directly at youtube.com backslash April Garcia Pivot Me. And please support us by giving us that thumbs up and subscribing. We recently became partners with YouTube and that really matters. You're going to love these videos. I'm thinking about this when someone's saying, okay, if I first acknowledge my truth and then Part of that is, okay, I don't have to take action. Let me acknowledge it. But we have to acknowledge our fears. I'm afraid I'm going to lose love from this person. I'm afraid that they're not going to be in my life anymore. There's some truth to that because when you faced your truth, you didn't speak to your father for two years. Like how does someone grapple with that? I can only speak in terms of what I had to do. What I had to do was genuinely and honestly make peace with my fear. Genuinely and honestly make peace 
with what I was most afraid of, which was I was going to lose my father. And when I felt into living someone else's version for my life, the rest of my life, that was so painful. That was more painful. That was already just a death. And that was no longer an option, really, when I really felt that. And so what I had to do was make peace with the fact that I might lose my father. And it was real. And so rather than avoiding that, I just felt it. And what I had to do was grieve the loss before the conversation, actually grieve the loss of the relationship. And so before I had the conversation, I I got to the point where I let him go and I grieved him and I released him and I let him go. So in a sense, before the conversation, there was already a letting go. And then I had the conversation and then we didn't speak. And so I'm not saying it wasn't difficult. I'm not saying it wasn't hard. It was tremendously painful. It was tremendously hard, but I had to grieve and release him fully. And you know what was interesting? What I saw was if I lived the lie in order to get the love from him or anyone that I thought I wanted, I realized I would have to live this lie for the rest of my life. That was more painful, to live the lie for the rest of my life. That, I thought, wow, that's painful. And so, yes, you might lose people. Here's the reality. You might lose people. You might lose situations. But I promise you that whatever you lose in your life is probably not most authentically aligned with who you are and what your soul is seeking to become. The next level of your life will require the next level of you. And the next level of you is going to require that you let go of what's not aligned. It's going to require that you let go of those people that aren't aligned. It's going to require that you let go of what's no longer working. This is, to me, is evolution. This is growth. You cannot manifest the new being the old version of yourself. You cannot manifest that next level being the old version of yourself. And so there is a letting go. But whatever you let go of probably is not aligned with what you truly are anyway. And when you let go, you make space for what's new. And so when I let go of my father and I grieved him, the short version was for me, what happened was a couple of years later, he called me up. And a couple of years later, after I got to a place of releasing him and forgiving him, he called me up and said, son, I'd like to talk. And then we were able slowly to rebuild a relationship. And now the relationship was not based on a lie or an illusion or a fantasy. The relationship was based on what was real and integrity. Because when we become who we think we need to be in order to get love from people, when people love us and give us the love that we were seeking, it's not really fulfilling. And deep down, we know even unconsciously We know it's not really fulfilling. And when they give us love, it's like eating fast food. When they give us the love that we betrayed ourselves to get, we know it's not really real. And we're not able to fully let it in deeply. And it's not truly satisfying because we know that they're not really loving us. There's a deep part of us that knows that the version of ourselves that they're loving is not who we really are. So when we know deep down, we're not really being loved. And so is not fulfilling. And that's the pain many of us experience in relationship because we betrayed ourselves. Now we're being loved for being someone that people, that we think people want us to be. And the love that we're receiving doesn't fulfill us. When we truly honor ourselves and live in alignment and dare to be authentic, that's when we begin to attract because we are 
expressing who we are, that's when we begin to attract people that see us for who we are. If you want to be loved for who you are and seen for who you are, you have to be who you are, project who you are, live who you are. For me, there was a profound freedom. As painful as it was to lose my father, and I came to the US shortly after that, it was painful, there was grief, there was sadness, but there was a deeper peace. You will experience a deeper peace in your being at night when you look yourself in the mirror and no one is around. For me, there was such a peace of knowing I was living in my integrity. I could live with myself. Sure, it was hard, but I could live with myself. And that, to me, that's priceless. And that is a foundation of integrity, alignment, and self-love. Yeah. And it's hard to love ourselves if we're denying and betraying ourselves. And I think that's why many of us, we find it hard to do that. And I think that's why also many of us, we end up sabotaging things because unconsciously we know we're not, what we're doing and what we're being is not in alignment. And the unconscious impulse to sabotage is a positive intention to try to, to try to destroy or sort of like clear what's not authentic to try to get us in touch with what's real and what our truth is again. Does that make sense? It does. One of the things that I'm realizing is a theme here is that, so if we go back to the beginning and then I want to talk about your new book, when they're in pain, it's first acknowledging that, Hey, I'm in pain. And it's because of some truth that I'm not telling myself. And then facing that, then we have this choice. And here's the thing that can't go unspoken. You're making a choice that my truth is more important than the pain it's going to cause somebody else. And that requires an honoring of yourself that I think most of us don't have the courage to do. Either that's courage or maybe self-love, but you stare the truth in the face and you're like, I see it now. Yes, yes. It's then the decision of, is my truth living in my alignment integrity more important than the pain I'm about to cause someone? Here's the thing. You can't cause anyone pain. I said a little controversial. You can't cause anyone pain in a certain sense. And I'll speak about that. To me, the truth serves everybody. The truth serves everybody, even though it may not seem that way at first. Because by you living a lie, not only are you not honoring yourself, you're not really honoring someone else. You're not honoring someone else by living the life, pretending to be someone that you're not. To me, that's not truly honoring them. And so you only really honor someone else when you honor yourself and you speak the truth to them because then you give them an opportunity to really be in relationship with the real you. To me, that is honoring. Only giving them the opportunity to be in touch with something that's fake, sounds a little extreme, but let's say fake, is not honoring them. That's not honoring them. Like we really have to say that is not honoring them lying to them. Like when you say to someone, yeah, I really love you, but you don't, that's not honoring them. You know, that is not truly respecting them. And so the truth serves everyone, even though it may not seem that way at first. And the truth serves everyone because by you honoring yourself and by you speaking truth, it might be hard for somebody. It might be heartbreaking for somebody. It might be difficult for another person. They might experience pain. Not you're causing them pain. You're just expressing what you're expressing. They're feeling pain based on you're not fulfilling their expectations of how they would like you to be, two different things. So you don't cause it. They're experiencing pain from from how you're being and the truth you're expressing. And as a result of you expressing your authentic truth, I believe 
that that gives the other person an opportunity and is an invitation for the other person because that will likely take them, if they're willing, on a journey of self-discovery, on a journey to deal with their pain, their fears, all the stuff that's going to come up for them that wouldn't come up for them if you were pretending to be someone that you're not. And likely every time I have expressed truth to someone and it's brought up stuff for them, if they're willing and they're on a growth path, even if they're not on a growth path, it will usually force them to soul search and investigate and explore and as a result, evolve and grow. And so I think true love, like real love, is not lying to someone. Real love is speaking the truth to them so that they can have the opportunity to face things in themselves and grow. So I always ask myself the question before I'm about to express the truth is, what would most serve my soul's growth and what would most serve the soul's growth and evolution of the other person? And that's love. Because then I know, even if I'm going to express something and it's going to be challenging, if I really feel this would serve their soul's evolution and growth even more than me not saying it, that's love. That's powerful. I think someone who is listening right now was going to hear that. I mean, just even the questions that you ask, what am I pretending to not know? And I mean, these questions for pivoters who are listening right now, I hope you're taking notes on this. This will be in the show notes, but really take the time to contemplate this. I mean, this is powerful stuff. This is the deep work, but it is the work that serves us and serves those around us. One thing I just want to add that might help is because when you speak your truth, you're going to likely need to have a difficult conversation with someone. And that can be scary because, as you said, we're afraid of hurting people. It's a beautiful intention, but that doesn't serve anyone. And so in terms of having a difficult conversation, there's a couple of guidelines I might give. People think, oh, the truth. You just tell someone, I hate you. You just tell someone, you just vomit on someone. That's not what it's about. You can still be truthful, but compassionate. You can still be truthful and loving. You can still be truthful and come from your heart and deliver the truth with responsibility. So truth doesn't mean attacking someone or causing them pain. So now what I'll say is this, when you have a difficult conversation with someone, first and foremost, step one, get in touch with what your truth is. Number two, connect to your heart and what you're really feeling truly first. Then number three, before you just blurt the truth out and speak the truth, make sure that you set up a time with the person where they're able to hear you and listen to you. Next, I would say before you speak the truth, communicate your intention for the communication. This is what's really important. Communicate your intention for the communication. Most people just say, this is how I feel. The other person goes into defense mode. If they're close to you, the reason they'll go into defense mode is their ego is freaked out that you're going to leave them. They're going to lose the relationship. You want to break up. And sometimes that's not what it is. It's just you're feeling some things that aren't working. But the ego freaks out, goes into defensive, and they're not even able to hear you. And then they start attacking back out of fear. When people are in fear, they're not able to hear. So communicate your intention. So as an example, you might say, hey, April, We've had this friendship for many years. And first, I just want you to know I want to have this conversation because I really care about the friendship, because I really care about her. And my intention is I want us to have a better relationship. I want us to have a better friendship. That intention uh, is able to then help someone relax a bit, 
now the defenses can go down and they're more able to hear you. Then you can communicate your feelings. The next key is when you communicate your feelings, it's about communicating your feelings. Most people don't communicate their feelings. They're like, hey, April, you're this and you're that and you're this and you're that and you're mean and you're this. That's just a projection. Communicating your feelings is really understand that we have a right to our feelings, but make sure that your feelings, so communicating responsibly is saying, I feel sad. I feel hurt. I feel insecure. I feel vulnerable versus you make me feel and you do. That's not communicating your feelings. That's attacking. And when you attack, people get in defense mode. So when you communicate with love and compassion, it's this is how I'm feeling. Then there's no attack, no finger pointing, no blame. And you have a right to your feelings. And to me, that's the beginning of having a difficult conversation. Brilliant. Absolutely. And I love this idea of having truth with responsibility. This is a great framework. I want to make sure that we talk about surrender. So let's just start with the basics. Like first, what is surrender? Okay. Can you begin there? (laughs) Yeah. What is surrender? This is a big topic. In a nutshell, I think we have this misconception in our culture that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that surrender is giving up, that surrender is waving the white flag, that if you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, dreams and desires. You're going to be a doormat. You're going to be a victim. You're going to be taken advantage of. But I'm actually saying that I really believe surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. I think surrender is the real key to your next level. Surrender is the password for freedom. And so there's this idea like if you surrender, you're going to get less in life. I'm actually saying if you surrender, what if you didn't get less? But what if you got more, like more than what you could even imagine with your logical, conscious personality, mental awareness? What if you got more love, more joy, more, like beyond your wildest dreams? And so surrender is to let go of control, or I should say the illusion of control. Because many of us, we think we're in control, but we're really not. I think the last couple of years have shown us maybe we're not as in control as we thought of life itself. And so surrender is letting go of control. Control is the master addiction. Control is the master addiction? Is the master addiction. Yeah, I want to pause on that. You know, as human beings, we are constantly trying to control everything around us. You know, I talked about conditioning earlier. We're trying to control everything around us because if I can control my son and my kid and my daughter, and blah, 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 if I can control 700 things, then I'm not going to be hurt again like I was hurt when I was a kid. And so there's an intentionality of the ego to control, to try to keep us safe, but it's impossible and it's exhausting because we're not in control of so much of life. And so surrender is letting go of this illusion of control. Surrender is letting go of trying to force and manipulate life to fit into our limited idea of how we think it should be. Many times we think we know what we want and we get so attached to that. And when we get so attached to the outcome, thinking it has to be that, or my soulmate it has to be this person. Now we're attached and now we're setting ourselves up for suffering because maybe it's not. And now we're trying to make something that isn't to be, but trying to make something that isn't to be doesn't make it so. And maybe life is seeking to pivot us over here. But if we get so attached, we're not able to pivot. We just want what we want. And we want what we want when we want it. And we want it to be. And to me, many of us, we, we end up trying to force life. So surrender is when we stop trying to force life to be something. And it's letting go of the idea of who we think we should be, how we think life should be, so that we can be available. 
and open and receptive is taking the limits off of life. Then when you surrender, then you're able to pivot. So surrender doesn't mean not giving 100%. Surrender doesn't mean sitting there doing nothing. Surrender doesn't mean watching TV and just saying, oh, life's just going to happen. No, surrender means you get in touch with what's most true. You allow yourself to feel what's most authentic, what's most true. Here's a question. What is life seeking to express through me? What is the universe seeking to express through me? What is the next? level of what my soul is seeking to unfold and give to the world. And so it's feeling what's most true, then aligning yourself with what's true, with what's authentic. Then you can align your business, your marketing, your strategy, your PR, your actions with what's authentic. Then you give 100%, but you give 100%, you take action 100%. It might mean you work harder than you've ever worked. It might mean you work more hours because now you're in alignment with a vision and a mission that's true, know what you think you should be doing, but doing it without attachment, doing it without being so attached. Because when we're attached, you're not going to be able to pivot because you're so identified and holding on to the goal that you think is the goal that may not be the goal. And sometimes... The goal that you think is the goal is not really the goal. It's just the necessary journey that you need to go on in order to grow and evolve so that you can pivot into a whole different direction. And so surrender is a letting go. Surrender is living available and open so that you're willing to allow life to show you, allow life to lead you. And I think when you surrender, you're open. And when you're truly open, that's when you're available to magic. That's when you're available to like more than you could even imagine. That's when you're available to infinite possibilities. If you look at all of the truly great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela, Martin Luther King, I'm going to say it, there I say it, Elon Musk, in his own way. Like they all surrender. People might say, Elon Musk, surrender? What do you mean? Hey, $200 million in PayPal, invest everything, every penny. I heard he was even having to borrow money for his rent, but he had a vision and he surrendered to that vision and he gave everything to how many of us would surrender that much to say, you know what? I feel this calling. I feel this vision. I'm going to invest everything I've got into the vision I have. That's a version of surrender, right? And so surrender is following your deepest truth and living in alignment with that. Wow. That is an amazing point. We have a final question, but I want to ask this before. Coot, where's the best place to get your latest book? Like, where's the best place to connect with you? So this conversation is so powerful. We definitely need to have you back on because there's about 30 other questions that I have and our time is running out. But where's the best place for the Pivoters to connect with you? Sure. The book, go to Amazon. The paperback is out. Get the paperback version of the book on Amazon, The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. There's a whole roadmap to surrender there. And my main website, coopblackson.com. If people feel like a deep dive and truly they feel ready for the next level, twice a year I do a life-changing event in Bali. It's 12 days. I take a lot of visionaries, entrepreneurs, leaders to Bali and take them through a 12-day process of transformation and unconditioning. It's Boundless Bliss Bali, so www.boundlessblissbali.com. Depending on when this interview's out, I'm doing a five-day free virtual online event. It's called The Surrender Summit. They can go to www.thesurrendersummit.com. I'm bringing on my friends, Neil Donald Walsh of Conversations with God, John Gray, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, Barbara DeAngelis, Relationship Guru, Martha Beck, who was on Oprah, John D. Martini, and many more. 
and we're going to dive deep into Surrender 20 Inspiring Visionaries. We're going to be breaking down what it takes to truly live Surrender so you can fulfill your potential. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook, Kuplex. That's amazing. So definitely go look into that. That live event sounds incredibly powerful. We're going to put all those links in show notes. So for our final question, Coot, if you could tell the world one thing, what would it be? Ooh, that's a difficult question. One thing, I've said a few things today. Let's go with, you are going to die. You are going to die. And I would like you to feel that. I would like you to meditate on that. You're going to die. Jesus died. Buddha died. Bruce Lee died. Mother Teresa died. Muhammad Ali died. Martin Luther King died. Mandela died. You're going to die. We're all going to die. None of us are going to make it out of this human adventure experience alive. That's fact. It's the only fact. From the moment we're born, we're dying every breath. Yet many of us, we live like we're going to live forever. And none of us know when the moment's going to come. And so if death came right now, would you be ready? And if not, why not? What's ungiven? What's unexpressed? What's unsaid? What's uncreated? What hasn't been communicated? Who have you not forgiven yet? Because at the, at the bottom line, when we meet our maker, and I hope all of us listening to this conversation, I hope everybody lives a long life. The truth is when you meet your maker, you can't go to God or whatever you believe and say, God, can I get a refund on those two years that I wasted in that relationship? Can I get a refund on those five years I wasted in that job that I hated? Once it's gone, it's gone. There's no refunds. So feel, feel your death, not as a morbid thing, but feel your death. Keep it close. Remember it every breath. Feel it every day. Like today, the people in 9-11 had no idea that they weren't going to come home that night. The people in the shootings weeks ago had no idea that they weren't coming home that night to be able to look their loved ones in the eyes and say, I love you or say, I'm sorry or forgive me, whatever it is. And so, so often we hold so much back. We live in fear. The truth is we're going to die. So why not give it all? Why not give everything? And how would you need to live so that if death came, you would have no regrets? To me, that's what it is to be fully alive. So meditate on your death and let the reality of death inspire you to live even more fully. Back that up. Listen to that again. That is incredibly powerful. Thank you so much for your insight, your wisdom, your vulnerability coming on and discussing your life history, the pivot points that you hit. And also really putting it in a way that we can execute on it, like that we can think it, we can internalize it and go, okay, now first comes awareness, second comes choice. And I think you brought awareness to this interview. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you so much. How would I need to live so that when death came, you had no regrets? This reminded me of a dear friend, Tammy, that lives by the daily mantra, no loose ends. Man, today Coop brought the heat. I talked to a lot of people in my role, both as an advisor and as a podcast. Coop has an energy, a power about him that is undeniable when he spoke. I was impressed and in awe of him throughout this interview, just kind of sat back and taking it all in. And he talked at length about how we lie to ourselves. Let's recap on that process and those questions to uncover this. So let's begin at the top. So if you are lying to yourself, you're going to have pain. 
resentment, bitterness. Pain can be psychological pain or it can be physical pain, but we don't treat the pain. We need to understand where the pain is coming from. Now, this next part is key after that. So focus on just acknowledging the truth of what you are lying about, but take the pressure of action off it. Just because I face the truth does not mean I have to act upon it. When he said that, I thought, man, that's everything because we're afraid that if we acknowledge it, then well, what are we going to do about it? If you reframe that and you don't jump to the next step and you're like, nope, just stay in this step, I think you can uncover your answer quicker. So let's move into the three powerful questions. Number one, what lies am I telling myself? You have to want the truth more than you want what you have. That, that was really profound when he said that. Number two, what am I pretending not to know? I know when he said that, I kind of took a step back like, whoa, I felt that one. I felt that one actually in my throat, like kind of this lump in my throat. What am I pretending to not know? Really powerful question. Number three, what is it costing me to keep this truth hidden? Feel the pain of the lie. And to me, it's it's really just a way to get leverage on yourself. You have to acknowledge it and then you have to understand, you have to count the cost of that lie in your life. And we often are lying to ourselves for fear of losing love from someone or validation, but acknowledge it. Acknowledge your fear, drag it out in the light and examine it. We think it will make it worse by acknowledging it, like that by saying it, we've spoke it into existence, but it doesn't work that way. I'm going to channel a little Brene Brown here. Shame cannot survive being spoken. Acknowledge our fear, speak it, and it will lessen its power over you. Now, I love when Coot walks us through the process of delivering your truth to someone. So you acknowledge the truth. And if you decide, yes, I do want to take action. I want to have the conversation with the person involved in this lie. Deliver truth with responsibility. And that looks like I am statements. I feel statements. I feel this way. I feel that way. I am conflicted. I am unfulfilled. That's not you statements. Those aren't blame or judgment. When you start saying, you did this, you said this, you make me feel this way, people get defensive. And that's when the other person no longer hears what you have to say. Coot knows what it means to have these hard conversations. He knows what it's like to be on a pre-planned path. It's laid out for you but it is not of you. He knows what it's like to be under the spotlight, being a teenage boy, leading a congregation of followers, expectations very, very clear. And yet he knew it was not his calling. And then he mustered up the courage in his teenage years to have that hard conversation, knowing what he risked, a relationship with his father. Now for over 20 years, Coot has been inspiring audiences and readers around the world to lead a more authentic, aligned life. From the moment he first stepped on that stage at eight years old to today, he is lighting the path, inspiring courageous action and demanding that we live our most aligned life. And yes, in our closing question, Coot dropped the death card on us, but it is the ultimate card, like the death card. That is the ultimate test of Did I live it right for others and for me? Or was I busy leading someone else's life because I was too afraid to speak up, to have that hard conversation, how to even acknowledge it in myself as a truth? Aristotle was right. Knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. But so many of us try to skip that step. Go check out Coot's latest book, The Magic of Surrender. 
endorsed by Jack Canfield, Les Brown, Martha Beck, so many other amazing, amazing thought leaders. But my hope is that this episode made you stop and reflect. Take the time to know yourself, not just what elicits high performance in you, but really take inventory of you, of your life. Ask those questions, journal about those questions, tie up those loose ends and live your most aligned, authentic life. I'll see you next Thursday. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.